Shalen Hurts is too handsome. He's had enough advantages in his life. He was a top, top high school recruit, went to Alabama, won a national championship, walks into Philadelphia, goes to the Super Bowl, what is second, third season. (laughs) You don't need me to root for him. He in that area where like the most homophobic motherfucking cousin in your life will see that nigga and just be like, "Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) that's a beautiful motherfucker, bro. Welcome back, everyone, to a very, very, very special episode of Stuck with Damon Young. So I, I've talked and written many times before about my deep, 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 deep ambivalence about the deeply violent, deeply hypocritical and deeply militaristic NFL and how I've rationalized my current consumption by saying that I only watch the Pittsburgh Steelers and how that is some bullshit, too. Almost like saying I don't drink water. I just suck on ice. So anyway, to, to help me think through this morality bear trap I've set for myself. I'm joined by my good friend Kiese Lehman for a wide-ranging conversation about the NFL, black college football, capitalism, our national addiction to violence, and even if Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts is too handsome to root for. (laughs) All right, y'all. Let's get it. Kiese Lehman is a MacArthur genius and is also the author of Heavy, an American memoir, which is one of my favorite books. Kiese, what's good, man? I'm good, bro. Just waiting for that bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Just waiting on them bridges. Well, you know what? I see you rocking the Pirates fitted. Are you a blood? Mm, Nope. Because there was a connection with the bloods and the pirate hat, and I didn't realize what the connection was, even though I lived right in the middle of Crips and Bloods in Pittsburgh in the 90s, but the P was for Pyro. Word. And so you would see Bloods with red everywhere, but with the black pirate hat. Wow. So, yeah. I'm embarrassed about how that makes me feel at 49. <laughs> I feel like whack 100 up <laughs> I mean, where you grew up, did you have the Bloods and the Crips? Did you go through that in Mississippi? Man, I'm so happy we talking. We had vice lords and folks. Our gang culture in the 80s and 90s came down from Chicago. Okay. So it went from Chicago to Memphis to Jackson, Little Rock, like that area. I mean, there's Crips and Bloods down there now, but we've been a, a, you know, gangster disciples, like vice lords, folks, like region. Okay. Because of Chicago. So, but it's interesting because, you know, most of those people were, we created Chicago and then (laughs) our gangs created gang culture and (laughs) went from Chicago down to (laughs) the deep south. And, um, but that shit was real deep. Like, you know, I'm laughing at it, but, you know, like lots of people, you know, you couldn't rock your hat to the left or right without consequence. And people got, you know, like we're laughing about it, but, you know, late 80s till the mid 90s, man, like lots of people in Mississippi who are friends of mine and friends of friends and friends and cousins and shit just got murdered for that gang shit. So, you know. And again, we had Bloods and Crips and it felt like the shit happened overnight where one day niggas was just niggas in different neighborhoods. And then the next day, Bloods, Crips, and there was another gang that was specific to Pittsburgh called The Law, which was Lincoln Avenue in Wilkinsburg, and they just wore black. Wow. And so it was funny because, all right, so I'm like 13, 14, 15 years old when this is all happening, and I'm playing, you know, on these rec league basketball teams or whatever. And so one of my teammates, I'm not going to say his name, <laughs> all right, one of my teammates, he was Hooper, just like the rest of us. You know what I mean? He was okay. He wasn't like one of the better dudes, but he got some burn. He could play a little bit. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, this nigga was a crip. 
All right. Like a week later, just heavy cripping. But he's still on our basketball team. And so one day you were on our way to like some YMCA or some rec center to play a game. And my man, Var, who is to this day is the funniest nigga I've ever met before in my life, <laughs> said that he was instant crip. Like someone added water to his ass. (laughs) 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 I will will never forget that. (laughs) Instant crib. Called him an instant oatmeal crib. That's perfect. Oh, oatmeal. Oh, that's that's great. That's great. Yeah. I I might have to take the hat off now, though, bro. Like, oh, no. No, no, keep it. I mean, I don't know if the bloods are listening to the podcast. Right. You know what I mean? I think I think you're safe. You got to believe in your reach, my brother. <laughs> you're reaching bloods. Come on now. So I got a random question for you. This is a sports-related question. How many baskets do you think that you've made in your lifetime playing basketball? Wow. That's an incredible question, bro. Um, 80,000? It might be more. For real? Yeah. Talk to me about it. Like, I'm sure you, you did the science. Tell me about it. Well, okay. So I was at lunch last week with my homie, Adriana Ramirez, who writes for the Pittsburgh Post of that and, you know, writes other things, poet, essays. And she asked me, like, do you think LeBron James has made a million baskets in his life? And I was like, a million? Mm-hmm. And then she broke it down. It's like, okay, so he's been playing basketball. Let's just say he's 38 now, 39. So he's been playing basketball. This is him 30 years. Right. So let's just say he makes 100 baskets a day. Right. Stressed out. And that accounts for the days where he doesn't hoop at all. So let's just give him 100 baskets a day every day for 30 years. Right. That comes out to about a million. That's wild. So it's probably more than that. Maybe, but it's give or take a million. Right. So for someone like you who was hooping as a young kid at hooping college, that number is probably in the six figures. It's probably like 100, 200K. Yeah. And you know what? And I played more basketball, honestly, like after college, like after I wasn't a basketball player anymore because you start nostalgia and shit mm-hmm. and I didn't go to therapy. So, yeah, man, you're probably right. Like, and, you know, you start getting in your 30s, like all you I see you shooting, like all you want to do is just like. Like, I just used to, like, when I got in my 30s, I just used to want to make 15-footers. You know, like, when I was in my 20s, it was, like, you know, 23-footers and shit. Like, I just want to see how many 15-footers I can make in a row. I mean, we both hooped. We both grew up hooping. We both hooped in college. We both hooped after college. And, again, like you, I played more basketball after college, you know what I mean, than I did in college. In fact, you know, I didn't get a lot of burn when I was in college. I had injuries. I had condition issues or whatever. I was a nigga who was shooting around after practices. Like, after practice was done, I would go, like, and play with, like, the regular students and go play pickup with them. That's what's up. You know what I mean? Just to get my confidence and just get my swag or whatever back. Absolutely. But we're both from regions of the country where basketball is maybe second, and it's a far second to football. Right. Maybe it's third. Maybe it's fourth. But football is king. Right. Mississippi, football is king in Western Pennsylvania. And so when you were growing up, how much did football shape your region? I mean, it shaped the region of Deep South, I mean, completely. But within Mississippi, right, it shaped Jackson more than anything. You can imagine. You see, like, the like the residual effect of that last year, last three or four years with prom in Jackson. My mother and father were at Jackson State when I was born. My grandmother is a Peyton. You know, we're cousins of Walter and Eddie. So my mother and father were in college with Eddie and Walter when Walter was, I think, best football player in the country. Our Saturdays 
<laughs> in Jackson, Mississippi, because we didn't have any professional football teams, was all about going to the 50,000-seat stadium, watching the halftime show and watching Jackson State, you know, beat up on or get beat up by Alcorn or Mississippi Valley. So it was all black football. And I think that's what's important. It's like, so it was all black football. And we were surrounded by the SEC. So we knew that there was like white football around us. And we supported like the black players in the SEC, like Bo Jackson, who were doing their thing. But like it was black football for us growing up. And then all it takes is like one person to go pro in basketball. And then your city sort of becomes a basketball and football city, which for us happened. But it's been football my entire life. Black football, swag football. And just for context, you referring to Walter Payton and Eddie Payton. And also when you referred to Prime earlier, you were talking about Deion Sanders. Absolutely. Who was coaching at Jackson State. And then ended up going to Colorado. You know, I'm glad you brought up Prime because I feel like he's a, what's that, the ink block test where, you you know, motherfuckers look at it and everyone has like a different opinion or everyone sees something different when they see that shit. And I feel like you got some niggas who are just happy. You know what I mean? That like, okay, there's this black man who was a superstar, been a superstar, talking shit, taking it to the system playing the white man's game in the white system and thriving. But then on the other end, you got some other niggas who are like, yo, he's always been for himself first. Dion has always been about Dion before anything else. And the way he left Jackson State, the way he is acting at Colorado, is just an example of him just putting himself first again. Mm-hmm. So where do you fit in all that? I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything wrong with putting yourself first. I think there's wrong with coaching two football teams the week that one of the football teams has a national championship. And so my problem is Dion not leaving Jackson State. You know, and that's what people who love Dion want to make this about. Nah, bruh. Like, you can't coach Colorado and coach Jackson State the week that Jackson State is playing in the national HBCU championship game and expect to win just like we wouldn't expect a coach who beat us to have beaten us if he were coaching two teams at the same time. And the only reason he could coach two teams at the same time was because of a disrespect for Jackson State. I say all that, and I say what Prom did in Jackson for my city has just been incredible. The way he went out was wrong, and Jackson State leadership shouldn't have let him do that. You know, I did the commencement address at Jackson State a few months ago, and it was wild, like, going up to it, bro. Like, I was going to go in so hard on Dion, and then at the night in the hotel, like, you know, my better self kind of took over. But then when I got there, I saw his son, too. If I would have done the speech I wanted to do going in on Dion, this motherfucker would have rocked me, bro. You know, like, this nigga would have <laughs> rocked me. So I'm saying I get what Dion did, what he had to do. Everybody knew he was going to do it. But what we need to be talking about is how Jackson State and Jackson State leadership and Jackson State fans, we kind of allowed Dion to coach both teams. That's just unheard of, bro. Like one of them was won like two games last year. One of them was in a national championship. He shit on us for that. And, and I'm always say it. And I'm always appreciate what he did for my city. I guess, how are the fans culpable for that? Because you mentioned the fans allowing Dion to do that. We so hungry, man. We so thirsty, bro. Like, because a lot of those fans went to Jackson State, grew up in the 70s. And again, like, swag football, you know, Jerry Rice, Willie Totten, Steve McNair. You know, we saw great, great football coming up. And then there was a lull. Mm-hmm. And so what, what Prime did is he brought the energy back. You know what I'm saying? He brought it back. And what we were just so hungry and so thirsty, a lot of us just forgot to talk and force and encourage the dude to talk to the black politics that made Jackson State University, Jackson State University. You know, he was apolitical as fuck, which means he was like, I think, serving white power. He wouldn't critique white power. When white power failed. 
And so I think we as fans, because he was winning, and when he was winning, we were winning. Our team, you know, Jackson and Jackson State are on ABC all over the, you know, we just weren't critiquing him. And I just think we know better. You know what I'm saying? We know that the politics that man was espousing was some bullshit. Like, Jackson State is not about that. We also know he was going to leave, which is fine. I just think we played ourselves into believing he was going to leave respectfully. And as an athlete, you just don't get to the final game let two years in a row and lose when you have the most talented team unless you're being outcoached. Deion got outcoached two years in a row. The team that beat him ran the read option fucking 60 times in a row and he couldn't stop him. I think if he would have been a Jackson State coaching instead of fucking in Colorado trying to recruit, maybe they would stop the read option. So you shouldn't ask me about Dion, bro. Like I, I have lots of thoughts. I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> well, hopefully in Colorado, you learn from mistakes. And he learns how to defend the read option. <laughs> not many learns how to handle it. <laughs> what I love about this conversation, potentially though, is that like Dion has to be black in like white space now in a different way. You know what I'm saying? At these colleges, this motherfucker is like, you know, talking about Jesus Christ in the locker room and shit, bro. You can do that at Jackson State. You're not going to be able to do that in Colorado without winning and have, you know, everybody be okay with it. So I want him to do well. Like, I'm not going to front. I want, you know, I'm that black dude who wants the black people to do well, but I also just want him to get a little bit more radical or black loving in his politics. That would be great. We was talking before we got on about all the rappers who... <laughs> who don't fuck with me. <laughs> all, all the people, yeah, all the people who I grew up listening to and I'm big fans of. But, you know, I've had critiques about certain things and they haven't been happy about that. And now they don't fuck with me. And that's, you know, it is what it is. And again, for clarity's sake, Talib Kweli is one of them who was upset about a thing I wrote two years ago, three years ago, and caught wind of it last year because I think he's on Mars or something and just doesn't have like updated Wi-Fi and just just finds out about shit two years after it happens. <laughs> and it just started spamming and harassing like all my social medias, particularly my Instagram account. But my point about even bringing that up is that I, I think that there's a conversation to be had about what happens to us middle aged black men. You know what I mean? And you see so many different examples of this where our politics, for whatever reason, just stop evolving. Obviously, it's not true for all of us. Obviously, you know, there's some of us, a lot of us who are conscientious, who are conscious, who are still making an effort. You know what I mean? And I guess I'm bringing that up also because even while I say that, I can't help but recognize my own, like, hypocrisy. Because the NFL season is about to start. Everyone who knows anything about the NFL knows all the shit we know about the CTE and about how the majority of the players who retire are going to have brain damage. Like that's an inevitability. Like you cannot play that game without the majority of the people who play it having broken brains when they're done. We know about like the unguaranteed contracts. We know about how each of the games is just this exercise and propaganda. We can just go down the line. We know about Kaepernick, right? And yet, I am still excited for open a day when the Steelers take the field. Right. Now, I've I've tried to rationalize it by saying, you know what, I don't I don't watch the NFL anymore. I just watch the Steelers, but that's some bullshit. Right. <laughs> that, right. That's some bullshit, right. right? I don't, you know what I mean. I don't drink water no more. I just suck on ice. Like, come on, nigga, you still water. <laughs> Yeah, I like how you walk that down, bro. Like, you walk that down real smooth. Can I just jump? And if this is out of place, I just want to... 
I want to ask you this based on what you just said. You hype, NFL season is about to start. Your team has the black coach, right? So, like, niggas worldwide love your team for lots of reasons. Dallas and Pittsburgh in the 70s. But nigga like me, fuck with Pittsburgh because you have a black coach. Would you be as excited as you are for opening day if the coach, the entire team were white? No, definitely not. Okay. Definitely not. Tomlin, Mike Tomlin definitely plays a part in my excitement and my current fandom. The coach before was Bill Cowher, and I liked Cowher as a coach. But if Cowher was still a coach, I would care even less. You know what I mean? But I root for Tomlin. You know, we're big fans. We call him Iron Mike here in the city, Iron Mike Tomlin. And also the fact that half the city wants to fire the nigga whenever they lose a game or whenever, you know, he maybe mishandles the clock. And, you know, you, you listen to Andy to talk radio here. You know, they call him Coach Cliche. They want to get rid of him. And it's like, yo, he has literally never had a losing season. And every other organization around the league looks at him as being like a top three coach. Yeah. And you want to let him go because of whatever. My grandmother's 94 and, you know, been watching football my entire life. But that symbol is a symbol that means the most to her, Mike Tomlin, which says everything. But you asked me how I got into it. It was, it was again, through the swag. Like, mm-hmm. when Walter went to the Bears, like, you know, our city, which was already connected to Chicago in a particular way because of migration, you know, we became Bears fans when the Bears did him dirty, according to us, by not letting him score a touchdown and shit, letting Fridge score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Um, we kind of jumped off for the Bears. When Steve McNair was with the uh, Tennessee Titans, you know, we were hardcore Titans people. We sort of jump around. Yo, I didn't know that was a thing that, you know, Walter Payton not getting a touchdown and refrigerated Perry getting at, you know, I didn't realize that people felt a way about that. What? This is news to me. I did, I had no idea that that was like a point of something for people. I had no idea. Oh, man. We never going to forgive that franchise. So, like, Walter carried the motherfuckers, man, for years and carried them to the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. And Walter didn't have a great game, but he was Walter. And you going to let the fridge score a touchdown instead of letting Walter score a motherfucking touchdown in the Super Bowl? This is the greatest motherfucker running back ever, nigga. Come on, bro. Mm-hmm. I, I'm talking about that shit like it just happened. Like, it was, it was just re- disrespectful, again, to Mississippi, but also, like, to, like, you know, our history of this motherfucker went to Jackson State. It's not like he could have gone to play at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Auburn, Alabama. You know, he went to Jackson State because we had a history of HBCU players and shit, but we knew the great motherfuckers there who were great weren't allowed to be great. You know, we knew Jerry Rice couldn't be great in any SEC schools. You know what I'm saying? We knew. So anyway, we just followed them, bro. Like, and so now, because black quarterbacks are, are doing their thing, I tend to root for, like, the team that has, like, the black quarterback. <laughs> and, like, so right now, like, I'm, I'm loving Jalen Hurts. So I'm loving the Eagles. And I'm, I'm loving um, Lamar in Baltimore, of course. Jalen Hurts is too handsome. He's had enough advantages in his life. He was a top, top high school recruit, went to Alabama, won a national championship, walks into Philadelphia, goes to the Super Bowl, what his second, third season. And he also looked like Shamar Moore. Like he, <laughs> right. he has too many advantages for me. You don't need me to root for him. He in that area where like the most homophobic motherfucking cousin in your life will see that nigga and just be like, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> respect, respect. You know what I mean? Like, that's a beautiful motherfucker, bro. You know what niggas do when they when they don't want to admit that they find another man attractive? If they start dressing like him. 
Right. <laughs> start wearing their hair like him. Start getting a haircut like him. Start wearing the facial hair. It's like you just peep him. You don't actually say, yo, I think that nigga cute or I think that nigga's <laughs> beautiful. You just, you just change your entire seats. That's so funny. <laughs> so that you become a, a replicant of this nigga. That's what we do. Now, I'm going to admit, I've definitely done that before. You know what I mean? Where you just peep someone's style and you're like, let me see how this hair looks on me. Let me see how this shirt looks on me. How would you do Jalen Hurts, though? Like, how would you imitate that beautiful ass nigga? I think one of the things with Jalen that makes him unique is that he's quote unquote 90s fine. Definitely. And so I've been trying to unpack exactly what that means. Like, what does it mean to be 90s fine? What people, and they're talking like people like Shamar Moore, Morris Chestnut, you know, people who came in that era who were known as being the heartthrobs back then. I think one thing that distinguishes him from a lot of the, particularly a lot of the black athletes today, is you look at him. He might be tatted up, but he doesn't have a lot of obvious tattoos, which, again, that makes him distinct from a lot of the black athletes today. Also, he has a fade and a goatee, which is hair that is distinct because most of the athletes today have locks, have all types of stuff happening with their hair, have full beards. But he has the goatee, has the fade. So you have the lack of a whole bunch of visible tattoos. You have the goatee and you have the fade. So you have like a 90s aesthetic. And so I think that's where the 90s fine comes in. Let me add one thing to it. And his countenance. like Say countenance. <laughs> whenever the motherfucker like speaks, like nigga, I'd be surprised because he seems like one of them niggas who, who only says like five words a year. Yeah. Which was sexy in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, remember when, uh, what was that bald head nigga who was uh, the model, everybody, all the sisters had on the wall? Tyson. Tyson Beckford? Tyson. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard this nigga talk, I was just like, oh, oh, okay. Well, you ain't sexy as you was, my brother, <laughs> but I feel the same way about, um, I feel the same way about Jalen, bro. Like, he is so comported and, uh-huh. and like, you know, you could tell like that military shit. It is weird that that's sexy to a nigga. Like, but I feel like you age yourself when you say he's 95. But yeah, that nigga 95. Yeah, it's a strong silent type. Back with more after the break with KSA Lemon. Speaking of Jalen, you know, you brought up black quarterbacks, right? And for years, if I was watching a game, any football game, you know, other than like the Steelers or the University of Pittsburgh, two random anonymous teams, and one of those teams had a black quarterback, that's who I root for. Right. Team with a black quarterback. I don't care who the team is. I don't care where they're from. But again, if there are two teams I have no rooting interests with, I root for the team with a black quarterback. And so there are a lot of black quarterbacks in the NFL today starting. Probably at least like eight to 10, mm-hmm. maybe even more than that. And so I'm wondering if what gets your rooting interest more, a team having a black coach or a team having a black quarterback today? Mm, that's a great question. I wish the answer was coach. The answer should be coach, but it's still quarterback. Because to me, it's just, you know, I think we're trained to see that as one of the most dynamic positions on the field. Definitely the most like uh, responsible position on the field. 
And we just hardly get any black coaches, you know what I mean? And you just, you know, like, you just can't. Mm. And when we do get them, they don't get to exist very long. Like, they don't yeah. get to, like, lose, then win. Like, you either win or, you know, you got a few who got to lose and then maybe win a little bit. So I, I would say black quarterbacks still, even though they're a ton. But I just still think, fam, there's, there's nothing like, to me, like, NFL football team being led by a black quarterback. And that's, like, old school 90s in me. Mm-hmm. But I'm still taken by it. You know what I'm saying? Even with the complete understanding that football is uh, packaged spectacular violence that we're all contributing to, I like my violence to be led by black quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> only. Did you see the quote? I forgot who it was. It was a sports journalist a couple of weeks ago who mentioned that Dak Prescott doesn't get the same sort of love from black people that other black quarterbacks do. Right. That we don't root for him. We don't like circle the wagons for him the way we would like Lamar Jackson or someone like that. Now, are you familiar with that quote? I didn't know who said it, but I've heard that before. Okay. Why do you think that is? And again, I say that while recognizing that there have been some things that Dak Prescott has done, like he's been supportive of the police. Right. Kind of like a roundabout way. He also plays for the Cowboys, which is its own thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think there is a conversation to be had about, like, there are black quarterbacks, and then there are particular types of black quarterbacks. Yeah. That I think that we are more likely to kind of rally around and root for them. Yeah. I'm going to keep it a buck. I've known who Dak Prescott was since he was in college. I don't consider him, like, when I think of black quarterbacks, he is not a name that comes to mind. Wow. I just think of him as, like, the Cowboys quarterback. And not to say that he's, like, some sort of coon or sellout or Tom or anything like that, but I'm just right. just right. keeping it a buck. I don't think of him, like, I right. think of Lamar Jackson as a black quarterback. Right. I think of Jalen Hurts as a black quarterback. I think of um, even Jameis Winston's silly ass as a black quarterback. Wow. Wow. <laughs> All right. That's a lot, bro. I think of Russell Wilson as a black quarterback. Without Sierra? (laughs) But Dak Prescott just doesn't get that from me. Okay, I'm going to make the argument that I think we have to see Dak Prescott as a black quarterback for us to understand how significant it is that someone like Dak Prescott, who could be good-ish, can lead the most you know, lucrative team in the NFL. Like, So what I'm saying is like that argument where like black people get to fail. I just think, mm-hmm. but I hear you. If he's darker and or his politics is quote unquote blacker, I don't think he gets to be in that position being average and looking like he looks. Because, you know, like we, we cannot think of him as a black quarterback, but that nigga's a black quarterback, like to Jerry. He is. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel you, bro. Like, but I also just think him particularly, like, I don't know if we've seen a black quarterback, I mean, maybe one or two who have been able to like be in the spotlight and not win shit. For that long. Like, because niggas don't get that opportunity. We don't get to be in the center and just, like, fucking flail it. You know, like, you got to be exceptional as Lamar, you know, and as we saw Jalen last year. Or someone even like Warren Moon, who broke all kind of passer records, but never, like, got over over in terms of winning a championship. But I just think, like, Dak is, like, says something to me about the way race has moved in athletics. I'm not trying to be, like, progressive necessarily, but that motherfucker is very average. And he's still the quarterback of the most popular team in the NFL. That means something. I think that you made the point, right? Because he is someone who, you know what I mean? He hasn't won a Super Bowl. You know, the Cowboys haven't been great for like the last decade or so. And he's also not a nigga who is going to be breaking records or giving you highlights right. either. Like he might as well right. be Kirk Cousins. 
You know what I mean? Like just a, <laughs> an above average quarterback who is a good NFL player, not great, a good NFL player who has kept his job for what, six, seven years now. Right. And again, I think that, yeah, we associate when we give a quarterback like, okay, this is a black quarterback. We think like they have to be spectacular. Right. I think in our consciousness. Right. Either they have to be spectacularly successful or they have to be spectacularly athletic. Right. And he is neither of those things in the NFL context. And I think that that's what kind of makes it like, oh, well, okay, he's just a quarterback for the Cowboys. Yeah. And to your point, I guess that is a form of progress where a nigga can lead the richest (laughs) franchise in professional sports, maybe, and be above average. Yeah. What I like to talk about is how sad that that is. Like, that that is a testament to where we are in the NFL, that, like, we're lauding like the ability of an above average core black quarterback to stay an above average black quarterback on an NFL team. And, you know, like they just got Trey Lance and, uh, and you know, it was so disrespectful, like, right. Like they didn't even talk to Dak. Trey Lance, who was a, uh, I think first round number three pick in 2020 to 21, one of those years. And they didn't even ask Dak, like what he thought of it. Now, whether you ask Dak what he thinks of it or not, you're supposed to tell the fucking press like, yeah, we, we talked, of course we talked to Dak about this decision and Dak was in favor of it. Dak was like, yeah, uh, no, they didn't talk to me about, you know, like, so, and I'm not saying that's because he's black, but like, I don't think his blackness uh, is inconsequential in the way Jerry Jones decides to treat that brother, you know? Mm-hmm. Getting back, you know, to the question about like your NFL consumption today. Like, do you do you watch games today? I do watch games today. Yeah. You know, despite everything that we both know about the NFL. Right. How do you make that decision? Like, what's the tree of decisions that lead to you deciding like, you know what, I'm going to still consume? That's a great question. Yeah. Like, you know, when in basketball, like I would, I would have the league pass. Like in football, I don't have that. So I watch what's on network TV and then I watch that NFL network or whatever where they just show the highlights of people scoring. And I'm thinking about getting the package so I can watch. What, what I would do is I'm going to watch Eagles games. I can watch. I'm going to watch all the Ravens games. I'm going to watch highlights of the other people. And, you know, I was really excited about this uh, brother, Isaiah Bolden, who got drafted by the uh, New England Patriots out of Jackson State. But, you know, to speak to this point specifically, you know, he got carted off the field a few weeks ago. But uh, New England was going to be a team that I was going to watch, which really put my head in conflict because I hate the Patriots and everything that they represent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there was a Jackson State player who played for them. And I don't know, he'll probably still get some time. But, you know, he got got carted off. And, you know, who knows if if he's ever going to be all right again. Yeah. So one of the Steelers preseason games, they played the Bills. You know what I mean? And the Bills is where DeMar Hamlin, who had cardiac arrest on the field, his heart stopped, literally stopped. Right. After a hard hit, he was eventually revived and made it to the hospital, made what seems to be a full recovery, which is great for him. There's also like somewhat of a personal connection there because he's from Pittsburgh. Right. And the place where I used to go for like open gym to play pickup that I talked about in my book, the Thursday Night Hoops, Central Catholic High School. It's where he went to high school. Like he didn't hoop, but I would see him around gym since he was like eighth grade, ninth grade or whatever. You know what I mean? And so him coming back to play, you know, the preseason game with the Steelers was like, okay, this is like this heartwarming moment. There was like a moment of recognition for like him, for like his family. It was a big deal. But it's like you're watching this and you're like, yo, this this nigga almost died. Right. Right got hit so hard in a game where getting hit is an inevitability. Yeah. Like you're not playing a game the right way if you don't get 
demolished <laughs> every week playing it. Yep. And so we're rooting for him to just go right back out there. Wow. And sacrifice his body and give his body and potentially have the same shit happen to him again. And obviously there are other sports where athletes have gotten, you know, that sort of serious injury, you know, heart issue, brain issue, spine issue, back issue, whatever. But those are sports where collision and violence, it's not baked into the sport the same way. Yeah. Where collisions happen in basketball, collisions happen in baseball, collisions happen in soccer, but they're not baked into the DNA of the game the way they are with football. And I guess there's hockey too. You know, I I, I have to mention <laughs> hockey, <laughs> right? And hockey can be violent also, right? But the level of violence in football is different. Yeah. And so again, watching the Mar Hamlin come back, heartwarming moment, everyone's like cheering and parenting chills, goosebumps, whatever. And it's like, yo, he is like, what are we rooting for? But you know what, though, Damon, like, I agree. And because I'm just getting older, bro, like, yes. But to me, like, as much as I watch this and watch what happened to Cap and watch what happens to all of us, I just think it's like as violent that they do all of that for us, right? They put their bodies and their futures on the line for us to watch. But like, what's ill is that like, they don't get to fucking say anything. Like, you put a mic in front of their faces, they don't get to talk about anything. Like, I, I just think, like, the bartering of it should be, and we see what happens when you actually do say something of substance. I don't even talking about organizing right now. I'm just saying, like, are you telling me, bro, like, you're risking your life damn near on every play on some positions, and if you use that microphone to say anything of substance about the violence that you're enduring or about the, you know, social political violence or the larger violence that you and your family and your families have withstood, who knows what will happen? But I, I guess you have to believe you won't be able to get a check anymore. So I feel you on, about the violence on the field, but I'm also just like taken by like how like, you can withstand that shit and then still like be just a nigga at work scared to talk, which is what NFL players for the most part appear to be, you know? So it's another level of violence. Like you have to on-field yeah. violence and then and Absolutely. then like the removal or the suppression of a voice. And that's something that I mean, would it make a difference to you, though? Like, if after the game, if they were able to be like, yeah, man, you know, I almost died yesterday and I got back out there today and I might get cut tomorrow, but, you know. Absolutely. Or would that make you, like, we're talking about us watching the game. Right. You know what I mean? And we're talking about how we view the game. And so would hearing transparent, vulnerable, honesty like that impact whether or not you decide to continue to watch. It would impact how I watched. And that's what I'm trying to say. I think what's so interesting about what you're saying is that what I just heard in you made me think that before I thought, do I watch or do I not watch? But I'm saying that I think, I'm not saying if they were allowed, because I think they are allowed, but I'm saying like mm-hmm. if motherfuckers like galvanize the power to actually say something about the conditions of their work at work, I think it would impact work. And I think when you impact labor, you impact how other people perceive labor, which means you impact how other people like perceive like labor, like our ability to do labor and our ability to talk at work. And not, I'm not trying to be like it's like A to B, like if, if they talked, we would all be free. But I think if they were allowed to fucking speak while risking their life and limb for millions of dollars that aren't guaranteed, I think that like it changes how we consume what we consume. And I think that means some people is going to make them consume even less. I mean, you see when the players talk, white people don't want to fucking watch the shit as much. 
You know what I'm saying? When the black niggas talk about shit, white motherfuckers don't want to watch. Yeah. Right? ESPN is struggling right now because they say too many of the people talking and have political agendas. So, like, I'm literally saying, like, and I want more of that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, And, and I, so I do think it would change uh, what we watch. It would make me watch more, honestly. You know? Well, and another point, too, is that if they had more of a voice or, or if they were more encouraged to be transparent, to be vulnerable, to be honest, to actually express what is happening to their bodies, to their minds. Yep. Maybe the actual game would change too. Yeah. Maybe that would have an effect on the conditions, you know? So maybe you have this symbiotic relationship where it affects consumers like me and you, and also the average white consumer who doesn't want to watch. Right. If DeMar Hamlin is, is actually talking about the conditions on the field and the conditions off the field, you know what I mean? But then maybe the game changes. Like, I don't know, maybe the contract structure, maybe the amount of games that they actually play, you know, maybe the harsh conditions become less harsh. You know what I mean? Even as I'm saying that out loud, when you make football less harsh, when you remove the violence from it, it becomes something that, like, when was the last time you watched the Pro Bowl? Never. Never. Never in like, I think I watched it one year when Jerry Rice was in that shit. Like, I think I watched it like 87, 88 or something. Okay. This is something that I have been trying to think through, trying to write through, trying to talk through. You know what I mean? Is the fact that, yes, you know, I think that we all want the sport to be less violent. Right. You know what I mean? We want the players to be safe. We want them to have more protections. We want them to be, I guess, just more secure in their bodies. Right. But one of the things that attracts me to the game, and I love like the skill, I love like the running and the catching and the the precision passing, and you know the way that cornerbacks are able to the backpedal and twist their hips and and you know do all that stuff. But that stuff matters because of the threat of violence, right? The threat of the violence, the violence always being there, the violence being an elephant is what makes the other shit meaningful, and so. If you remove the violence or if you make it less violent, are the parts that I enjoy about the game going to matter less to me? Probably, right? But that's what I'm saying about the project. Like, if you make this less violent, will I like it less? Yes, motherfucker. Because we're as conditioned by the NFL as NFL is conditioned by by economic systems around the world, right? So, so yeah. Like, I just think we need to accept it. To me, it's not about, like, are we or aren't we, like, obsessed with violence to me it's about like once we know we are like what are we willing to change in addition to stopping to watch the nfl you know in order to like curb our like obsessive desire to consume violence and i hear this conversation is focused on the nfl but my point often is that like i just often just think when we focus on the nfl without the systems or without other things connected to the nfl and i get nfl is unlike hockey unlike baseball unlike basketball unlike all these other things but it ain't the most violent game going on in the world. Like, that shit is called capitalism, of which football is a part. So I do think we could be less violent, but I don't think we want to be. <laughs> so we ain't going to be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What you're speaking to is, like, our addiction to violence. And the music, you know, again, we were talking, you know, offline about how my relationship with rap music is just evolving and it's in this really like weird and awkward space right now where I don't want to listen to the niggas who are our age still making murder rap, right? 
I'll listen to them when they were 20, 25. Right, right, right. <laughs> listening, right. making that. You still like listening to them now. But I still like listening to murder rap. I still like listening to Pusha T, you know, right. being Avon, Stringer, Nino, you know what I mean? Um, Barksdale. There's still something about me that loves that shit. Absolutely. Despite the fact that there's so much out there that is conscious, that is like, I could even listen to gospel rap. I could I could eat the impossible burger and listen to some <laughs> gospel rap. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's wow. available. Wow. <laughs> it just speaks to... You had Lecrae on the show, bro? You had Lecrae. <laughs> La- no, we didn't have Lecrae. Okay. Like even, you know, and I think we talked about this before about how I've been thinking about getting a gun. You know what I mean? Despite everything, despite all the shit we were just talking at the beginning of the show about the Bloods and the Crips and all the niggas that we know who are no longer with us because of gun violence, all the gun violence around us, I am still considering that. You know what I mean? It's not like a present consideration, but it's it's a thought that's in my head. And I feel like it shouldn't be, but it is. And I think a part of it, yeah, obviously I want to protect my family. Obviously, you know, niggas out here is crazy, but there's still, <laughs> I, I can't not admit the fact that there's an allure. You know what I mean? That there there's something inside of me that that thinks it's sexy, that thinks it's cool. And so, yeah, getting back to our consumption of the NFL, again, we're addicted to violence. We're addicted to capitalism. And the game is just an extension of that. It's like all the things that we rail about, all the things that we recognize are fucked up politically, all in one pot. And it's like, well, make your decision. Is the enjoyment that you get out of that, does that supersede the violence that's being committed? And also how your complicity makes this possible, too. Right. So does your pleasure supersede all of that? Does your attraction to violence, to blood, to death even, or at least not necessarily death itself, but being in a circumstance where you could come within an inch of death? You know what I mean? Which I think, God willing, that hasn't happened on an NFL field where someone has died. But we know people have died because of NFL fields. We know people have died because of football. But we haven't actually witnessed it on the field. I think the hard part for me, can I just say, is that like it's absolutely what you said about spectacular violence. And I think for me, the hardest part is that it's also like etched. And this is the American project. It's etched and really shaped (laughs) by black virtuosity. And so like as a black consumer, like we understand that so much of our black virtuosity is is like necessitated, like created through violence. We we are who we are partially because of this American project and this necessity that it wants to, you know, be carnivorous and fucking eat out our souls. So when we see black people performing on a football field or anywhere else, and I'm saying anywhere else is different than a football field, but I'm saying and anywhere else, I just think when we talk about divesting, I mean, I think this is what we're trying to do, have a conversation about like the pleasure we derive from violence, but also the pleasure we derive from watching black bodies virtuistically like do shit within violent circumstances that bodies aren't supposed to do, which is what our bodies have been doing since we got here. So I just think like it's so deep to me and the pleasure is so deep to me that we have to have really deep conversations about the role of virtuosity, black virtuosity and the American violence machine. And I love watching like, you know, gymnastically fucking move our way through this shit. But I think that shit makes me a much more violent person. And that's the part about it. I think we, you know, I don't know what to say next because I'm still going to watch the games, you know? So, 
you know? <laughs> I don't know, bro. I'm trying to, trying to bridge you out of this motherfucker. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to bridge you out. I don't know. <laughs> so you said it makes you a more violent person. Like, what does that look like for you? Tangibly, what does that mean for you? I, I would love to know what my insides and my imagination were like, like, without, like, getting hype at, like, one nigga damn near decapitating another nigga trying to catch a pass. Like, we grew up watching just highlights of that. And I'm saying, like, watching that shit, I, I, can't, I can't be like, it doesn't impact the way I live my life around people who I love. But see, I just got to be careful here. That's why I want to slow. I don't want to be, like, watching football makes you beat your motherfucking, like, partners. And I'm not sure what actually watching football does. But what I'm trying to say is we can't even isolate the football watching in our consumptions of violence because like every fucking thing we do is is shrouded in violence. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, well, if I didn't watch football, you know, maybe I'd like treat my body kinder. I want to believe that's true. But if I didn't watch football, you know, I would still be encouraged by my job to bow down to white supremacy and hoist up anti-blackness at work, which is also bad for my body. So I'm just saying, I think the conversation has to like bend and fold with all of that shit, I think. Like my coach in college had a phrase called fake hustle, right? Where if someone was not really hustling on defense, but would like smack the floor or whatever, it's like, nigga, that's fake hustle. He wouldn't say nigga, he's white, but nigga, right. that's fake right. hustle. If he right. said nigga, that's fake hustle, one of the locker rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've been on this for years, right? Like, am I really grappling with this shit? Is this just some fake hustle? Is this just us talking because we know the conscientious, the evolved motherfucker in 2023 is going to have some ambivalence about watching NFL and and it's going to be able to express that ambivalence, but you still watch. And so is all of this just fucking a performance? Like this entire conversation, not, not the parts about the other stuff, but the NFL part, is that just us performing because we're just going to, when this is over, we're going to go and do what we've been doing for decades. I want to perform it because I know that, like, we could organize to change the labor conditions of the NFL. Like, we, as consumers, could organize to change the labor conditions of the NFL. And I think we could organize to change labor conditions in this country on a larger scale, too. So, like, the more insidious part is, like, in the absence of organizing, which is what we could do, I think some of us want to do like, oh, shit, I don't want to watch Demar Hamlin get his motherfucking like lungs blown out of his back, but I have to. You know, like, I just think because we know like organizing is what we could do, but we don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You know, and I think stopping watching the mass would be a part of organization. It's funny. We had the whole conversation about black quarterbacks. They didn't mention Patrick Mahomes, who is, I'm going to say it, like it didn't take LeBron winning the championship. For me to say he was the best player in the league. He was the best player in the league from like 2004 on. He was the best. He was better than Kobe, better than Tim Duncan, better than whoever else you would say was the best in the league. I don't need like accomplishments yep. in order to say that. And Patrick Mahomes is, I think, the best quarterback of all time. Right. Right now. And we didn't even mention him in his conversation about black quarterbacks. I know. Which says so much. Um, but I'm going to watch the highlights. And if it was Lamar, I'd watch the game. The Kansas City Chiefs, which Patrick Mahomes plays for, playing the Detroit Lions tonight. Open tonight, black quarterback, black-ass quarterback, you're going to watch. Black quarterback whose wife thinks that his favorite food is fried chicken. I love Even Patrick Mahomes' ain't. daddy. I love I love Patrick Mahomes' daddy. And I plan on watching the highlights of that game. Same. 
I'll, I'll, I'll watch some highlights. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For sure. Kese Lehman, thank you again. Always, always a pleasure. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, man. You, you, you're creating a space out here, to, uh, the only space like it. So thank you for letting me come and, and, and mess around on it. I appreciate you. Of course, anytime, man. Again, just want to thank Kese Lehman for coming through. Great topic, great guest. It's always a great time when Kese comes through. Never know where the conversation is going to go. Also, thank you all for coming through. Again, could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose to be here with us. So thank you again for that. You can get stuck with Damon Young wherever you get your podcast. But if you're on the Spotify app, you know, all the interactive questions and, and answers and polling, have some fun with it, knock yourself out. Please go ahead, tell a friend, do your thing. Also, if you have any questions about anything whatsoever, hit me up at DearDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Kendra James and Madeline Herringer. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Spotify, our executive producers are Lauren Silverman, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam and Crystal Hall Stressler.